Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Music from the original motion picture soundtrack. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Dogs will salivate at the sight of food. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. <laughs> Announcement! Announcement! This is your weekly reminder here to tell you all about our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash our three cents is where you can find it. What can you find there? I hear you ask. Uh, well, all kinds of amazing perks uh, are what you can find in exchange for a few pennies of support. Perks such as full exclusive bonus episodes, and there are several of those now, all certified cherries. Uh, there are exclusive deleted scenes and outtakes of which there are veritably tens of. There's custom artwork available and also access to the Patreon exclusive Discord channel, which is a lovely place to chat with us, the other Patreons, and also our extraordinary smorgasbord of special guests from this past season of bonus episodes. We absolutely love making this show and have been monumentally grateful for those back in the Patreon already, which has allowed us to expand and create more content. And uh, well, we'd love to give some of those guys and girls a special shout out. So uh, thank you enormously to to Andy Smith, Gene Limbrick, Debbie Booth, Guy Lockhead, Jasper Blackiter, David Boys-Layton, Darren Hughes, Rob Wade, Dominic Kemp, Chris Walker, and Alex Dunn, uh, to name some. Uh, thank you for your continued support. So, this week, Chris, we have your fourth favourite video game. Fourth! We're well into the top five now. Oh, I can't we're, believe we're, it. Our foot is well and truly in the door of the top five, and uh, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to tell us what's on the welcome mat, aren't you? Oh, I cannot wait. <laughs> But before we do that, it's time to return to the quiz. Come on. But before we do that... Oh, twist. As we all know, Chris and I have been reaping the benefits of uh, of not only a, a quiz set from Jonathan in the, uh, in the first two seasons of the podcast, but also enjoying the fruits of his intellect with his, uh, his House of Games style questions these past few weeks so i thought it would be nice for him to enjoy uh, a little bit of that enjoyment himself so i've been coming up with some rather fiendish questions myself (laughs) so here's this week's question jonathan for 50 points final fantasy 7 oh is a popular entry in the final fantasy series but can you name another (laughs) <laughs> i'm going to take a punt at final fantasy 6 okay we will go to our independent adjudicator for that one ladies and gentlemen he's done it another 50 points to jonathan done there well done oh, indeed well fantastic. done oh oh gosh that 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 was that was a think of that one i must say I bet, yeah very yeah. very good so after last week's epic quiz round, uh, I've, d- I've decided to pair things back a little bit this week uh, just to save myself from my rampant escalation. I could see myself like in a couple of weeks time building an entire like who wants to be a millionaire style set <laughs> and roping in Chris Tarrant. Uh, so I thought, right, let's go for a bit more of a straightforward round this week. So nice and simple. I'm going to give you some taglines for video games and you need to guess 
what game they are for. You'll have three questions each, and they're multiple choice. So, yeah. All right. Nice and straightforward. Classic quizzing. Easy. Quiz. start with minty here we go which game has the tagline a new chapter unfolds on the stage of history is it a assassin's creed 4 black flag is it b soul caliber 5 or is it c prince of persia the forgotten sands i think it's uh c prince of persia that is not the correct answer the correct no. answer strangely is soul caliber 5 <laughs> well oh, really well, guess I'll go fuck myself then. <laughs> Chris, which game has the tagline, the whole world is creating games for you? Is it A, Dreams, B, WarioWare DIY, or C, Little Big Planet? WarioWare DIY. That, I'm afraid, is not the correct answer. Oh, is it not? No, it's Little Big Planet, which is strange because oh. you don't really make games, really. I, but, I thought, uh, because Little Big Planet, at least in the early entries, were just straight platformers. I thought that was too, yeah. too open. Minty, your second one. Yeah. This tagline is, your mum's gonna hate it. <laughs> is it A, Boogerman, B, Dead Space 2, or is it C, Mortal Kombat Trilogy? Ooh, uh, I am going to go with... I'll go with Mortal Kombat. Ah, that is incorrect. <laughs> no. <laughs> the correct answer is Dead Space 2. Is it? Oh. Yeah. Why? I thought that came out well too late to have that sort of tagline. Ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, that's like that's like a real 90s, 90s magazine caption, isn't it? Okay, Chris, your second one. Here we go. This tagline is, Nothing is true, everything is permitted. Is it A, Portal 2, B, Assassin's Creed, or C, Control? Control. C. That is not the right answer. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid uh, the answer is Assassin's Creed. No! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Goodness me. Wow. Okay, right. You guys have got one, one more chance each. Come to- on! To, to scrape something out of this and, and warrant the hour it took me to put this uh, together <laughs> rendered not entirely pointless. Come on. Okay, here we go. Minty, the only allies are enemies. Is it A, Starcraft? Is it B, Command and Conquer Red Alert? Is it C, Commandos Behind Enemy Lines? I've never played any of these games, and I've never been privy to the marketing cameras behind the media, but I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to go, do you know what? C has not been good to me um, these past couple of rounds, but I think that's all going to change. I'm going to go for C. That is not the right answer. (laughs) The answer is StarCraft. (laughs) This is unbelievable. Multiple choice, and we've got five out of five wrong so far. This is, this is crazy. Chris, evil waits below the surface. A, Metroid Prime. B, Doom 3. C, Exhumed. Doom 3. <sighs> right at the final moment. You squander it all. It's, oh. it's no. It's Metroid Prime. <laughs> oh my God. 
That, I can't believe that. Just just from a pure like statistic. If, if you guess the answer, if, if if we just picked randomly A, B, or C for every round, we would have had a better chance of getting those right. Right. I'm going to go for sudden death. <laughs> oh, cripes. Okay. I can't think up multiple choice, so it's you're just going to have to shout out the name of the game. All right. Okay. Okay. Gobble gobble gulp. Gobble gobble gulp. Kirby's Dreamland. <laughs> the, the Hungry Hippos board game. <laughs> Wow. No, the answer is Ms. Pac-Man. Okay. Are you up to it with the number two? Mortal Kombat 2. Street Fighter 2. No. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> how will it move you? Connect Adventures. Wii Sports. You know what? Sod it. I'm going to give the point to Minty. It's not Wii Sports. It's Wii Fit. Ah. Uh, but that's close enough. Minty, what? well done. <laughs> One measly consolation point 16 rounds later. It also means that the overall scores are now 71 all. So What's the there's point? just no point in doing any of this quiz at any fucking point. <laughs> Jesus. Point? Cancel the show. No one cares anymore. Just bin the lot. <laughs> oh, God. Well... Let's try and generate a bit of content for this uh, this episode, at least, in the form of a listener question that has come in from Patreon subscriber David Boys Layton, who's asked us what real-life place in a video game we'd like to visit. So, so that's a location that we've been to in a video game that's actually based on a real place that we'd like to go to. He cited some of the locations in Las Vegas that he'd seen in Fallout New Vegas or areas around Chernobyl, like in Stalker. Lovely, cheery locales for uh, <laughs> a nice mini break with your wife. This is a great, this is a great question, and it's been really fun to think of it because I, I realise that, that there really aren't that many good examples because obviously so many games are set in fictional worlds. That's something that, you know, the medium of video games really lends itself to more than films or TV because, you know, with like a film or a TV, you can shoot it in real places you can shoot it on location all that sort of stuff whereas games in order to make a video game you have to make everything that's in it so if you if, you, if you're going to set your game somewhere why not make the most of it and create an entirely new place rather than set it in somewhere that is real i haven't said that uh, a couple of games have come to mind uh, the first was uh, la noir it's a little bit of a cheat because I think I probably would enjoy going to LA in that era, in like the 50s, rather than LA now. Yeah. Uh, but even still, I, I'd love to go to LA one day, walk down Sunset Boulevard and visit the locations of, you know, some of these incredible film studios and see some of the places that, you know, the most important pieces of cinema have been created. Also, another game or games, really, that have, have really tickled my fancy are... Uh, the Tomb Raider games and the Uncharted games, because I, I've always been a big fan of like ancient history and archaeology, uh, especially, you know, those that are sort of steeped in uh, in mythology. And, you know, I know that those games kind of blur the lines between reality and, and mythos, but I, I, I'd love to go to some of those incredible like ancient places and at least imagine what pieces of magic may be lurking further in. So, you know, I'm not expecting to go to a lost valley in Cambodia and and, and meet a T-Rex, but, <laughs> you know, but I, I'd love to go to Egypt or Machu Picchu or Cambodia, you know, really just let my imagination go wild as I explored some of those those places. Uh, would be would be really nice. How about you guys? Uh, Minty, where would you like to go? Yeah, really, the only one that I've ever played that made me think, this is not only really cool, but it's also a real place. Wowee. Maybe one day I'll go there. The World Ends With You, um, the Scramble Crossing in Shibuya in Japan. Mm. Oh, nice. Good shout. Yeah. 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 
hey, that that was a that was a lovely game to play, and it, like it just had a really cool aesthetic. Yeah, really cool world as well. All the shops you could go to were very, oh, it's just mm. oh, it just had a really great aesthetic. Just had a really great feel to it. It's if I went there today, it would probably be fucking hellish because <laughs> it's it was so it you know it. It, it it's 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 widely purported to be the the, the, the like the, the the busiest crossing on, on the earth isn't it but at the same time oh to play it it was just so electrifying like wow this is a real place it would be really cool to go here it's been painted in such a in such an edgy and sexy light <laughs> it's yeah it's it's really great obviously it it tied in well with the game's overall aesthetic with all the uh, with all the monsters that were you know, part graffiti, part music, uh, which are not going to be there, which works against the um, works against the real life places. Well, it doesn't go well in its favour because there's going to be something missing there because that's how I initially um, experienced it. But just that that craving to just be cooler than I am, and <laughs> yeah, the world ends with you was a very cool game. That is my choice. I know that I would hate it if I went there in real life because that's just not who I am as a person. But but I'd like it to be. I'd like it to be. Maybe if I could, maybe I'll go there on Google Maps if they if if that's a, if that's if that's a VR app one day. I'll just sort of walk around in my own time. That sounds good. That does sound good. How about you, Chris? Where where have you seen in a in a game that you'd like to go? I struggle with this a bit, like both of you did a little bit. Because the, the games I'm generally interested in and the games I, I tend to play, as you mentioned, Jonathan, are, are maybe more abstract or sometimes just completely oblique in their settings mm. or, or fantastical, you know, surreal, just, just weird places that don't exist. So looking over my list for inspiration, Euro Truck is, is real world, you know, in a truncated oh, yeah. sense. But I can't honestly say that I want to drive tens of thousands of miles between petrol stations across the continent. But somewhere I have actually been and I'd like to revisit and and you know it's been kind of re- relatively fresh in my mind is is new york ah. because you know now i've i've got many hang ups about america despite being entitled to citizenship via my mum but you know regardless of that personal feeling i appreciate the total sensory overload of that city when i've been and when i was zipping around in spider-man remastered oh, yeah, just a few months back it feels extremely close in places to how that city made me feel when i've been there because it, it really accents how tall everything is, how busy things are, how bright everything is. Every surface is covered with something. And whilst, you know, similar to what you said, Minty, about Shibuya, it's like I, I would never live in a place like that, but I would like to just go back for a little sip. <laughs> and, you know, in, in, in the context of Spider-Man, I'd probably try and schedule my trip in between the city-ending threats that Peter Parker is dealing with, <laughs> if that's okay. But otherwise, I think that that game, and I'm sure Miles Morales as well, does a great job at selling the the romance of that city as a, as a real world place that that kind of feels very alive and and you know quite realistic in how it's depicted in those games. So yeah, I'll, I'll get on a plane one day and I'll, I'll pop back and uh, then I'll, I guess I'll get on my web shooty things and just up up in the air. Absolutely, nothing stopping you. Nothing stopping you. <laughs> Well, there we go. Thank you for that question, David. That's uh, yeah, that's been really, really nice to discuss. If anybody else wants to ask us anything that you'd like us to uh, chew over on a future episode, then do get in touch with us on our social media channels.
So, what have we been playing in this last week? Chris, why don't you kick us off with uh, with your gaming activity from the last 192 hours? <laughs> I'll be honest, didn't do the maths. <laughs> At least a few hours of that. I was finishing Metroid Zero Mission. Yay, 168 hours. I know it's only a five-hour game, really. At least in my first playthrough, that's how long it took. So but good, though, right? To finish a game of this import and this reverence, you know, it felt mm. really massive for me. And my my personal feelings around the game as my first Metroid, you know, at the very beginning, I was a little bit unsure because I haven't played kind of a traditional Metroidvania for, well, ever really. But very shortly after I'd come to terms with how it played and how it controlled, I thought, yeah, this is this is a big old 10, this is. As, as I said last week, like, I really loved the atmosphere. I, I really loved the visual design, the music, the exploration, the backtracking, the, the ability gating, like all, all the great stuff that goes with that genre. But... Then I got to the final boss of the original NES Metroid experience, Mother Brain, and I had a big old huff because it felt it felt so different from everything that had preceded it that, you know, the, the whole game is about carefully considering what you're doing and lateral thinking and explorative puzzle solving. And then for what was what I thought at the time, like the, the end boss, just to be essentially like a bullet hell encounter where you're stood on a little platform just a few pixels wide you're getting shot at from literally six directions simultaneously. And those bullets will just lock you in a sort of stunned state as you fall into the lava. And then you're just fighting back through that to get back on the platform again, weathering the storm and just making really slow progress. Really dreadful. Hated it. And, you know, in, in a remake that was this happy to take liberties with the rest of the source material to make a really great game, I don't know why that encounter wasn't just adapted a little bit to fit the tone of, you know, everything else they'd done. But, then my annoyance was allayed slightly because I realised, oh, game's not finished, Chris. <laughs> and I've still I've still got the little Zero Suit Samus addendum to play through at the end, like a, an hour or two. I liked, but I didn't love that final section. Like I didn't enjoy it as much as the main chunk of the game before Mother Brain. I liked having a bit more Metroid lore. And I imagine that's going to put me in good stead to play Samus Returns because I've ordered it. It'll be in the post. It should come to me probably tomorrow, actually, and then I can start the next one. But I found the the layout of the final map area that this section is in felt a bit uninspired compared to the rest of the game. And the the kind of stealth and chase mechanic with all the space pirates knocking about just wasn't that fun. Maybe that's, again, just personal preference. But I did like the final boss. The Mecha Ridley was, was really cool. I liked the last countdown escape and everything else. But from kind of mother brain to the credits, I think the game was a slight downward curve for me, which is a shame because of how much I really loved the beginning. And you've you've both sort of seen my thoughts over the week as I've been playing <laughs> go from very, very positive and then just, you know, the chinks in the armour at the end. But it is mission accomplished and that I am now positively salivating for more Metroid. Good. And the, the whole point of this exercise really was to try and get into the series before Dread was upon us. And I've certainly done that. And I've maybe even opened my eyes a little bit more to just Metroidvanias generally as a genre that I've previously given very, very little time to. So overall, big thumbs up. Enjoyed it a lot. And I'm looking forward to to seeing what's next, I guess, in, in the canon of, of the 2D Metroid. Superb. The other thing I've been playing, and I, I know you have played a bit of too, Jonathan Dunn, yeah. is old Mario Golf. Well, it's not old Mario Golf, that's uh, the problem. New, new Mario Golf. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing that one week ago, I, that was my game of E3. That was the thing I wanted to play more than anything else. Yeah. And it's the game that has launched soonest since E3. And it's the game that I feel quite frustrated with at this point. Yeah. I'm not saying that I dislike it overall, but there are things about it that are quite annoying 
and things about it that I think could have used a bit more time in the oven and maybe some other kind of developers just parachuted in to say, that's not going to work, boys, is it? Come on. Yeah. Playing it, my biggest frustration after the first few hours with the game, this seems such a simple thing, is the total lack of ceremony for great shots. Mm. And that's that seems such a simple thing. If, if I sink apart from a million yards, I want 15 replays from every angle. Yeah. Like if I score a chip in from a bunker... I want Mario to come and like come through the screen and give me a kiss. Like I, it's it just, I, I want to be celebrated for doing well. And because the game relies on this kind of speed golf mechanic that they showed a lot in those trailers, it's, it's so tied to the idea of getting through holes and, and keeping up the AI players who are doing the same thing. And so beholden to the clock and, and making sure that's kind of like ticking along that your reward generally is just like text on screen that goes, Oh, birdie. And, and that's about it. And, and that's yeah. really annoying. It's got a changed swing system as well in terms of how, how the golfing system works. And I don't know if it is a step backwards or not. It feels very different to the kind of three-click system that's been in almost every golf game since the 80s. And I think there is nuance to it. And as you get more clubs, there is a bit of strategy to it. But the basic way it works is you set the power with the first click and then you can just be hands-off if you want at that stage. And it's strange that you know the, the elements that would normally be tied to your timing to in terms of how straight you're going to hit the ball is now arguably being replaced by a system of chance a lot of time and the likelihood of a fluff shot it just doesn't feel as fair as when that was in your own hands so that's the other thing I'm a, a bit unsure of at the moment in terms of the overall setup of kind of the the speed goal from running about I don't actually have a problem per se with the setup of running between holes but the courses, I think, have to feel like a Mario platformer. If they're going to lean yeah. into it being like the physical approach play is, is you know, such a heavy focus. It's It's got to really be a Mario game at the same time as being a golf game. And I don't think it gets that balance right. It does become a bit more of a focus on, on the second course onwards in the story mode. And they introduce XC golf, which I assume stands for, for cross country in a, in a weird way. But you're basically then competing holes across a whole course in any order. And you're sprinting between them to avoid shot penalties and timing out. And you need to properly consider a route and avoid enemies and, and think about the topography to make sure you're not going to get stuck at the base of a cliff with your ball. And that's still not the Mario Golf I want, but it at least makes itself feel different enough that it is distinct. And that I could pick up, for instance, like Mario Golf and the Game Boy Color in one hand and, and Super Rush in the other hand and justify saying I want to play A or B because they are very different games whereas at the start of the game especially I was really disappointed because it felt like one it doesn't feel like Mario Golf and two it doesn't feel like not Mario Golf <laughs> Yeah. so I'm, I'm hoping like as as I play a little bit more as I, as I play a few more hours it's going to open itself up to really be its own thing because some reviews have really loved it and I know some have been quite lukewarm, but it's been a real mix. And I wonder how much that ties into kind of first impressions, which are very poor, to, you know, slightly slightly further impressions along after you have played for a few hours, where maybe it, it just changes enough to feel like not a waste of your time. <laughs> you know, that, that it is different from its forebears enough to be fun. 
I, I'd say it's up there with some of the biggest disappointments I've I've ever had actually with games. Mm. Uh, I was really really hoping that it would be, uh, you know, the game to sort of bring bring the series uh, back in line with sort of where where it started. You know, with like the Game Boy Color game and the, even the Game Boy Advance game that were both so so good. I think the game unfortunately is fundamentally flawed because mm. of the way that it's built around this speed golf mechanic, a concept which I thought sounded really really fun, but in reality. It doesn't feel like a golf game. It doesn't feel enjoyable because you can't take your time over it. And and then there's no, like you said, there's no reward for, for doing something great with that either. But like you said, it doesn't take it far enough in a different direction to warrant it being different. It's just annoyingly not what I want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the yeah. and everything just feels a bit unfinished. Like even on like the speed golf, when you're, there's no transition between running to your ball and playing the next shot it just sort of awkwardly like cuts to the next thing it, yeah it feels so fragmented it feels like they were like oh this sort of works yeah that, that'll do and i know that like dlc is planned for the game and i always think that's when a game is when a game's dlc is revealed before the game's released it means it's one of two things one developers are greedy or two the game isn't finished uh, yeah. when it's being released <laughs> yeah and uh, i think it's probably the latter i just I'm very disappointed. It did, didn't feel fun to play. Like I said, the new not three-click uh, system, like you said, leaves too much to chance. And that, again, just totally destroys anything that you can enjoy with a golf game. It's like, what's, I just don't see the point. I don't, I, don't, I don't see the point in playing it. What I found really strange about the whole thing as well is that I put on Mario and Rabbids the other day after, after E3 just to kind of like show Georgia what it was. And, and I did a couple hours of that, like starting from the beginning again. And that was a third party game that felt remarkably first party overall. So good. Mm. Like it's, it's not perfect. It's, it's not like a, a pure Nintendo product, but at a glance, you would be mistaken for thinking it was. Yeah. Like everything looks and sounds right. And Mario Golf doesn't have that same level of care despite the fact it's being published first party. And I'm not sure which team were developing it in, in the background. Because I don't... Was it Camelot this time? I, I don't know if it's it them was. or not. Yeah, no, it is. It just... It doesn't have the same level of care, like, say, the N64 release did, or, or the GameCube release that they worked on both of those. Something's something's missing. And there was the, the Mario Tennis game that came out on the Wii U that basically had no content in it at all. It was like, would you like a match? Yeah. Or would you like to try and go for a high rally? And that was it. And that was a £40 game. It's not quite as bad as that. But on the Wii U, you could kind of excuse it because it was like, no one has this console. We just need something <laughs> on the shelf. Yeah. And with the Switch, that, that is not the case. You know, there is, there's a wealth of stuff to play, first party and otherwise. And there's no reason if it was feeling like that, that things weren't quite there, that they didn't just say, let's give it a month. Let's give it, let's give it six months. Like, who cares? I'll, I'll play it when it's ready. And yeah, it, it doesn't have the same shine that I think it, it ought to have. Going back to the shop, I'm afraid, for me, if I, if I want to play a golf game, it's, uh, it's not going to be that. If I want to play a Mario game, it's not going to be that. I'm not going <laughs> to waste any more time on it. Some things that I have put some time into are, well, my main activity of the last week is that I have played and completed Resident Evil Village on the PS5. Oh boy. And uh, well, I had a fantastic time doing it, to be honest. It was uh, really, really good. It crucially felt a lot more gamey than Resident Evil 7 and it, it really did feel like Resident Evil 4 which is, is obviously only a good thing as far as I'm concerned the only difference was that it's in first person which I'm really surprised I didn't end up having an issue with I think part of that is because it's not 
it's not frequently fast and frantic action. You know, it didn't matter that I probably wasn't as deft in my movements as I would be in a third person game or if I was playing a first person game with a mouse and keyboard. But it has actually given me a bit of hope for playing more first person games on consoles, which is, you know, which is nice. But the, the, the game is, it's really, really good. It's really good. It's, it's a much shorter game than Resident Evil 4. I mean, considerably, I completed it in less than eight hours which I didn't mind. It was nice to be able to actually fit that in and it didn't sort of, you know, overstay its welcome. And it was also nicely episodic with the game split into kind of four very clear sections, which allowed the game to offer up some nice variety of gameplay and action in, uh, you know, what is a very contained game. Obviously, it's all set within one village uh, and it suited itself then to actually like my my play style as well because it'd be like, oh, okay, that, that last section took me, say, you know, an hour and a half, whatever. So I know that I could probably sit down for an hour or two now and do the next section. And so, so it, was, it was nice. There were some very effective spooks, I must say. <laughs> a few jump scares early on to a whole section that feels like it was straight out of Silent Hill. Ugh. It was... Very, very scary and unnerving. Anyone who's played the game will know what section I'm talking about, the infamous Beneviento house. I'm not actually going to say anything about, because I'm really glad that I didn't know anything about this part of the game before playing it, because, well, one, I probably wouldn't have played the game at all if I'd have knew, <laughs> you know, that this bit was in there. Uh, and, and two, because it, I mean, it genuinely provided me with one of the most repulsive, shocking scares I've, I've ever experienced in a game that... Yeah, has obviously meant the game has had a bit of an impact in, um, yeah, I, I guess in a good way. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say the game felt or even looked next gen, which I was a bit disappointed with. Obviously, playing it on a you know on a shiny new console, but like I said, it felt great to play, and I look forward to seeing what they do with the next instalment. Hopefully, that is something that is going to be developed purely with PlayStation Five and Xbox Series X in mind. So with that out of the way, I've returned to Demon Souls to try and tick that off my list. And I've made a bit more progress there, which has been great. And I've also made a start on the Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is pretty cool. It explains now why I, I managed to get that question right early a few minutes, isn't it? <laughs> I'm kind of yet to be sold on the, 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 the combat system in the game because it's got this sort of hybrid real-time fighting with turn-based commands. It feels like it's trying to sort of have its feet in, in both camps in you know in terms of like the retro turn-based battles and, and something that's more of a modern action game but it doesn't seem to have had much thought in how it feels to sort of be managing both sides simultaneously it's very much do one thing do the other thing i don't think it would bother me as much if i hadn't seen it done so well in games like you know the xenoblade games or even like astral chain uh, to a similar degree but i'm excited to see how the story unfolds and it's also struck me that it's my first final fantasy game that i've properly played so that's so that's cool. It's impressive. Elsewhere, and for those people who have seen my latest video over on our YouTube channel, you'll know that I also got the beautiful signature edition, the beautiful collector's edition of Alex Kidd in Miracle World DX, which is the remake of the Master System classic that actually featured on my list way, way, way back when, like 97, 98, something like that. Now, I'd hoped that it would be a similarly effective polishing that Wonderboy 3 received from Lizard Cube a couple years ago that was absolutely gorgeous. However, Wonderboy pretty much only received a lick of paint, I mean, a phenomenal lick of paint, and, you know, a couple of little quality of life features, which is actually all that game needed because it was it's such a well-made game. Like, it, it's very considered, uh, and it held up, you know, surprisingly well today. Alex Kidd, on the other hand, is a game that's 
riddled with bad design choices. <laughs> I've cited it before as, as like such a good example of games of that era where the game's only about 10 minutes long, so they just need to make it as hard as they can to, you know, so people feel like they've had their money's worth, uh, even if that means making stuff that is just out and out unfair. The game was way, way too hard for a start. There were things like insta-kills hidden inside normal punchable blocks without any sort of indication of what was inside. You just had to have died there before and remembered. And chiefly, the boss fights were based around playing rock, paper, scissors, which, unless you knew the sacred order that was like hard-coded into the game of what the bosses were going to do, you would be entirely left to the fates of chance. Which is why I thought this game could benefit so much from a remake, you know, to round off some of those rough edges, add some quality of life across the whole game by modernising it ever so slightly, make some of the platforming feel a bit more modern, whilst also, you know, capitalising on, you know, the nostalgia of those that, that played the original. Instead, what's happened is even more bad design choices uh, have been implemented <laughs> and, and crowbarred into the game without even fixing the issues that were there with the game in the first instance. Like... It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a classic example of being too faithful a remake, which doesn't warrant existing because it's actually a worse version of the game than the straight-up port that Sega did for the Switch in its Sega Ages line that I played when it was released. Like, they've added some additional levels in that adhere to the original version's design mantra of it doesn't matter if the people who play the game are deeply miserable, just do it. <laughs> and whilst the lick of paint that the game's received is nice, it, it matters zero jots because the game is just so unfun to play and it, it's such a missed opportunity because you could do a few really nice little things to make the game just a bit more palatable and modernize it and you'd have a lovely little game on your hands even something it's like you don't have health you get hit you die you go back to well in this game in the remake you go back to a checkpoint whereas in the original you went back to the start of that level which was a bit unfair but give my let's get health put like heart drops in, in the game so at least you've got like a, a, a little bit of, of buffer especially when it, you've got things in there that are unfair put a little a subtle mark on some of the blocks so you know that they're evil change change the boss fights <laughs> for a start <laughs> change the boss fights for goodness sake the game like in many ways the game reminded me of that game love that me and you played chris that really yeah. sort of fast-paced action well it's just a straightforward platform game but it had sort of almost did it have like single screen levels it felt Almost. Like it did. Some of them were very short. Some of them scrolled a little bit, but they were all quite yeah. contained. Like the longest one is probably thirty seconds. Yeah, and there was a start point and an end point. And Alex Kid has that. The start point is obviously where you start in the level, and the end point is a little rice ball that you collect and eat. I thought actually this could work really well as that sort of style game. If it was really, if it was quicker, if the levels were even condensed slightly so that it was more mm. arcadey, I think that could have been a really nice way of remaking it whilst retaining that sort of live, die, repeat <laughs> uh, sort of nature of love and that sort of trial and everything. You just got to sort of learn the patterns of things and the movements of things. I think that could have worked really, really well. And that would have been a way of modernising it if they weren't going to, you know, kind of properly sort of round, round off some of the edges and, and make it as a proper modern platformer. I mean, I don't know how this game passed any level of quality assurance, let alone with unanimous agreement that this was the best they could do with it. It's a real shame. Like, the only caveat is that they've added a feature to turn on infinite lives in the menu, so it is at least possible to complete the game, <laughs> even if it is, frankly, shit. <laughs> There's even a boss rush mode in the game, which, bafflingly, just includes all the rock, paper, scissors fights. <laughs> like, what's the fucking point? Oh, I hate them. 
Lovely box set, though. It's a shame I'm going to have to put it straight on eBay because the reminder that this remake exists only sours my quality of life. <laughs> Elsewhere, though, uh, more positive news. I've also got the superb new football game Retro Goal from New Star Games. Oh, tell us about it. Which we mentioned in our Euro 2020 special. And it's it's lovely. It's great. It's It's got that same football management style to it, but the gameplay takes place in a sort of proper old 16-bit side-scrolling football setup. It's, it's made very, very well for touchscreens. You sort of control with a series of, of touch and flick-based inputs that allow you to pass it, cross it, head it, and, you know, sort of run in different directions. It's very, very well considered. At first, it was very, very tricky, and I thought it was perhaps too fiddly, and I thought, oh, this is a shame that it's not just being played, you know, on classic d-pad or whatever but the more i've got used to it the, the better i'm getting uh, and the more i'm able to sort of improve some of my players uh, characteristics so that it suits my style of play it's it's brilliant it's really really good and i highly recommend it and it's just very it's very very satisfying to play minty how about you what have you played this week well i've only played one game this week and I feel like I've done better than both of you because I'm really enjoying it. So last week we were talking about our E3, uh, our E3 picks, our E3 highlights, etc., etc. And I mentioned Astria Ascending, mm. which is a hand-painted 2D style JRPG where you can merge and upgrade your heroes into new and different classes. And I, I did joke in the Discord by saying. Um, to go against what everybody always says about Nintendo Directs, they broadcast all of this amazing stuff and nobody's happy ever. I said to be positive, I'm going to I'm going to buy and complete 100% the very first RPG that they mention. It was Astro Ascending, but I thought I don't really want to wait for this because it does sound good. So I, I had a little look on the uh, on the post E3 digital sale for something that would scratch that itch, and listeners. I'm playing Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth. Ah, which Digimon Digital Monsters? <laughs> Digimon are the champions. I've not given Digimon much thought since I was eleven, <laughs> when back when uh, <laughs> the cartoon was uh, leagues ahead of uh, Pokemon. I had one of the original Digimon Tamagotchis that you could plug together with your friends and fight, and I just thought, well, I guess it's like, um, I guess it's like Puzzle and Dragons, but an RPG instead of a like a, a match three type game with a with a sort of LA Noir slice in it because it's you're, you're playing a junior investigator who can become digital and move through cyberspace to sort of sneak in to high security headquarters and and hack PCs um, using your Digimon friends. Oh, it's really great. I, I, I have an approximate enough knowledge of Digimon as a whole to but oh i've got i've got i've got agumon um there's i'm gonna evolve him into graymon uh oh no i've i've, I've digivolved him into fucking i don't know merrimon or something i remember him from the anime he was he wasn't evil but he had a black gear in him so he um so he he went mad he was crying all the time as he was going down that hill and they had to knock it out of him and ah uh, it's bringing back lots of Lots of nice um, nebulous memories, and I'm also learning a lot about all the different Digimon that there are outside of the anime, and there are some fucking weird ones. <laughs> I've just I've just digivolved um, what I assume is midlife crisis Pac Man Mon, <laughs> who 
is is just is, is an orb with a goatee. Oh no! <laughs> Maybe he's got an incredible combat viability, but I'm just going to leave him in my in, in my digibank for now. I'm on chapter four, which is called I think the Shinjuku Labyrinth Incident, which is tantalizingly mysterious. All these sort of these weird digital portals open up in the real world, and you have to figure out what's going on there and solve crimes and all the rest of it. It's it's good fun. I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. Good. I'm really glad to hear that. And I look forward to hearing how your digiventures continue. So the time has come, my friends, to talk of other things. The things we're talking about this week is not a things, plural. It is a thing. Singular. And it is Chris's fourth favourite video game thing. Over to you. I can't wait. Over to you, Chris. Here we go. Well, I used to really enjoy finding new music. And as a hobby, I'd scour message boards or blog posts or file collections on on networks like SoulSeek I used to use. And, and I got a real buzz out of trying out new things, finding something I liked, and then using that as a pivot to find connected bands or artists or, or projects that were connected tangentially by shared members or, or whatever. But you grow up, and as with so many hobbies, dwindling time over the years has meant that this isn't something I have that much time to do anymore. Like, it used to be a fun weekend task. I'd just look for music for six hours, and now I don't have six hours to give it. So, you know, there are those still sometimes groups that I'm exposed to through through this means or that that really click for me. And a few years back, I got very, very, very into the band The Fall, and for anyone not aware that the four were an English post-punk band that was active from the late seventies through to the sad passing of their singer, Marky Smith in 2018. And in that time they saw an insane number of lineup changes, stylistic changes, but throughout the whole run, they were rampantly productive. And, And over about half a century, they featured around 60 different musicians in the band and released upwards of 30 studio albums. And in that time, Marky Smith, as as the singer and leader, was the only consistent member of it across the whole lifespan. Now, two quotes stick with me whenever I consider thinking about The Fall as a band. The first was when pressed to answer why they were his favourite band, the radio DJ John Peel described the group as always different, yet always the same. And secondly, when challenged on the revolving door of members in the band, Marky Smith himself once said, if it's me and your granny on bongos, then it's the fool. <laughs> now, my fourth favourite video game of all time is Tetris. And, and maybe, just maybe, if your brain works a smidgen like mine does, you might see how I've made a connection between Tetris's ubiquitous nearly 50-year reign and the fool's weird and wonderful <laughs> career. Or, alternatively, maybe you've just unsubscribed from the podcast. That's always a possibility, too. (laughs) Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Please stick with us. Now, I I first played Tetris when a Game Boy cartridge was given to me by a cousin on a trip to visit family in Bournemouth. And I may have been 10, I think, or thereabouts. The age is unimportant, really, other than to really loosely quantify and qualify that I have been playing Tetris regularly in some capacity or another since that day which is, you know, for me, almost 25 years at this point. Tetris at its core is the work of one man, uh, Alexei Pajitnov, and the original version of the game launched on the Russian Electronica 60 computer in 1984 and then would become a real worldwide smash hit via the Game Boy and NES ports in the late 80s. And these days, Tetris is known by almost everyone living on the planet through its hundreds, if not thousands, of ports, updates, sequels, spin-offs, pastiches or homages. 
And back to that quote, it's always different, but it's always the same. <laughs> and I have played and enjoyed to various extents many, 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 many versions of Tetris. Like as a rough chronology, Tetris on the Game Boy, obviously, Tetris DX on the Game Boy Color, Atari's Tetris, Sega's Tetris, Arika's Tetris, THQ's Tetris Worlds on the Game Boy Advance, the new Tetris on the N64, EA's Tetris on the PSP, Nintendo's Tetris on the DS, Hudson Soft's Tetris Axis on the 3DS, Ubisoft's Tetris Ultimate on the Vita, Sega's Puyo Puyo Tetris, Tetris 99, Tetris Effect. And although Pajitnov hasn't been involved directly in any of these games really, other than as a licensee of the Tetris name and franchise for, for years now, in the, the immortal adapted words of, of Marky e. Smith, if it's my game, but played on Donkey Kong bongos, it's Tetris. <laughs> Long set up for that joke. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, I'm not going to insult either of you or any of our listeners by describing what Tetris is. Because Tetris is the joke you make when you're loading a removal van. It's the joke you make when you're fitting cereal boxes on top of one another in a cupboard. Tetris is the game people probably first searched for on the iPhone app store when touchscreen gaming was really in its infancy. And Tetris is the game that your mum or dad probably played on your Game Boy, even if they had no interest in anything else in your grey cartridge library. I think it is honestly as close to a perfect game as I believe you can get, because it is so mechanically simple, but cognitively stimulating. And it's endless, so it always offers a customizable challenge, and it's immediately readable by someone regardless of their skill level or interest in games. Now, for this entry on the list, I've chosen good old vanilla Game Boy Tetris. I ummed and ahed about which version of Tetris to use to represent this industry behemoth, but I think it's only fair given its lineage and its personal lineage to me, its, its cultural effect, its mainstream appeal, and its connection to the success of the Game Boy as a handheld when it launched that I give the nod to the monochrome version of this just all-timer. I've talked about Tetris at length already in our mental health episode a couple of years back. Yeah. I talked about it for weeks around the launch <laughs> of Tetris Effect. I talked about it for months around the launch of Tetris 99. I've made videos on YouTube about weird versions of Tetris in the hard drop series that I really need to get back to doing in the summer. It's difficult to think of new ways to say how much I love the game itself given the inherent simplicity of the game's internal structure and logic, because there's just not that much to say about it mechanically. It's just so tightly designed. But I think it's that simplicity that makes the game such a success with pretty much every person who plays it. And what's most impressive, I think, about Tetris is that the core of the game was so refined in the late 80s that in every version that's come out since, at best, you're going to look at maybe an alternative to the original that you might enjoy just a bit more due to personal preference, but at worst, you're looking at a game that is somehow less enjoyable than the Game Boy original. And for me, Tetris Effect is probably my favourite realisation of Tetris because it's, it's Tetris passed through a filter of, of web 2.0 optimism. The soundtrack still gives me goosebumps. The original demo in VR made me cry. <laughs> but st strip away that whole aesthetic wrapping and it's just Tetris. You know, the, the exact rotation rules or drop speeds might have been tweaked or refined but the core loop of just managing pieces to clear lines and then managing pieces to clear more lines, it's just Tetris. It's 1984's Electronica Tetris. It's 1989's Game Boy Tetris. Nothing has changed. And whether you stick on Disney's Magical Tetris Challenge on the N64 or you whack on Pokemon Tetris on the Pokemon Mini or the very niche Tetris with card captor Sakura Eternal Heart on the PlayStation 1, <laughs> if, if you strip away the character on the box, they're just Tetris. Because Tetris is eternal, 
you know, it's, it's become a thing that just trundles alongside us in life. Like, for, for example, whether you like or follow football, for instance, it's a thing that is just there in the world. And the majority of the world, if you ask them what football is, they could give you a rough explanation, even if they might be a bit hazy about the exact rules. And Tetris is the same now. You know, Joe Average in the street is not going to know or care about how a T-spin works. But if you show them a picture of a Tetris well, they'll go, oh, it's, it's Tetris, isn't it? That block game. And they'll know what they're looking at. There is no doubt in my mind that I'll be playing Tetris in some capacity as long as I have my faculties. <laughs> and, and, and the range of Tetris experiences available means that I'm always catered for regardless of my mood. For a long time, I've used whichever vanilla version of Tetris I have access to as a means of stress relief because I've played it enough that I can somehow lock my brain entirely to the actions on screen. And it just lets me claw back a bit of control and shut off kind of other worries and anxieties that might be popping around my head. And and I don't see that particular personal function of the game dissipating with age. I, I think it's just one of those tools I have in my belt kind of thing. If I want to challenge myself and give my noggin a bit of stimulation, I, I can pull out a version of Tetris with a slightly adapted rule set, like maybe the themed modes in Tetris DS or, or the grab bag of different gravity and well changes that was in EA's version of Tetris. If I want to be competitive and show off my chops, there's Tetris 99. Although obviously that particular entry does rely on Nintendo keeping those servers up and running indefinitely, which I very much hope they do. But, um, you know, one day, presumably that will will stop. And lastly, if I want a Tetris experience or, or a Tetris journey, there is Tetris Effect. You know, it's, it's a game that would most likely sit at number one on this list if it were eligible for inclusion. And I come back to that same John Peel quote that it's always different, but it's always the same because Tetris doesn't change, but the intentions and design machinations of the current stewards of the franchise do. And every time Tetris is relicensed, a huge portion of the game industry like collectively groans. <laughs> like when, when Tetris Effect was announced and they said, yeah, it's a full price release. How many people ignorantly counted? Well, it's just Tetris, isn't it? I'm not going to pay 40 quid for fucking Tetris. But every single visit I have back to that 1984 blueprint, you know, it's exciting for me because there's a chance that one of these teams is going to produce gold. And when they sit down and they, you know, they have the, their design meetings to say, what if we change this? Or if we, if we tweak this? Or what if we combine this with this? You know, would a Marquis Smith directed the full branded Tetris have worked? Absolutely not. Would I have played <laughs> it anyway? Without question. <laughs> you know, my fourth favorite game of all time, and I'd argue the most objectively perfect piece of interactive design ever made is, is Tetris. It is the greatest of all time, I think, in terms of pure pure simplicity and and certainly how it's rippled out into the industry and just become a thing that is totally ubiquitous around games now. It's, it's a fascinating phenomenon, but it all ties back to it being just a brilliant game. And that is your fin. <laughs> <laughs> Marvellous. I mean, yeah. Tetris, isn't it? Like you said, if, if Tetris Effect were eligible to be included in our lists, I think it, it almost certainly would have made it uh, to the number one spot for you. Yeah. Obviously, we, we drew a line under our lists when we started the podcast and uh, Tetris Effect is his release came after that. The, and the way you talked about it in the mental health special, I think people should listen to that just to hear what you're saying about it because it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's inspired, actually. I was talking about Tetris just this morning with my friend because I was talking about the upcoming Tetris film, talking <laughs> about the uh, yeah. you know the story of how how it came to light and the insane drama that unfolded between yeah. like, Alexei Pajitnov and the you know the Soviet Union and all this sort of stuff is mental, but yeah, it shows you just how just how important it is and just and actually what a 
literal game changer that that concept is it's um it's brilliant perfectly formed and so compact it's like a diamond really a diamond of a game <laughs> mm. and every facet <laughs> effervesces in every form that the game takes whether it is a battle royale or a beautiful vr journey or even the um the notably omitted n64 tetris fear chris oh yeah did you ever play that yeah I, i've played it a very little bit it's not one i have that much experience with i i, I know nothing about it uh, apart from the fact that it was um tetris but on a ball <laughs> yeah, yeah wow whatever next <laughs> like i said 3d happened too early a podcast that is also on the greenlit podcast network uh the hardcore games 101 podcast mm, yeah they're basically attempting to to rank every game in the world so each week they'll talk about a game and then attempt to fit it on a list with everything else they've ever talked about. But when I, th- I think Tetris came up in their hundredth episode as kind of like a special and they made the hilarious joke where they kind of introduced it and then just went number one and then just played the, the end music. And, and I think it's, I think it's, it's absolutely right yeah. that, you know, it deserves that sort of accolade because yeah, in, in terms of just the strength of idea uh, and how it taps into such a, a base thing within us just to keep things ordered and, and just enjoy that feeling of progress as it gets a little bit quicker and tests you more and more it's um yeah it's unrivaled it will always be the best block dropping game for me I, I just can't see how any other take on it is, is ever going to really capture the immediacy of tetris so there we have it chris's fourth favorite video game of all time and of course it was tetris i can't believe how many times i've said that in this one episode <laughs> <laughs> If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do uh, share the podcast on social media and engage with us on our various social media platforms. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Our3Cents. Instagram at O3C Podcast. Go to YouTube, search for Our3Cents. You can find all of our amazing video content there, including definitely a load of stuff about Tetris and Chris. <laughs> or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I live at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing and fancy supporting us even more than you are by just simply listening to the show, then uh, you can go to patreon.com slash our3cents and have a look at some of the perks available in exchange for some pennies of pledging. And we will see you next week where we'll be finding out what Minty's fourth favourite video game of all time is. No idea what it is. Can't wait. Hey there, this is Jeremy Parrish, and if you're a fan of classic video game soundtracks, or if you just love 20-minute rock epics about war-ready armadillos that battle Catholicism, you should listen to Alexander's Ragtime Band. Join the power trio of myself, Elliot Long, and James Eldred each month as we talk about the most pretentious music of all, progressive rock, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Previously, in Zelda 2, on Chat of the Wild. Until you get to the elevator. Right, right. Right. <laughs> I'm on it. Like, stay away from me, and you and your little flamies. <laughs> he just chases you. I'm like, uh, I'm like, run, 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 run. I love that. I love that idea. It's like we have this whole grand adventure, where we're building ourselves up, and every time we get into power, we're like, oh god, oh god, oh god, like just running through. <laughs> That's Chat of the Wild Wednesdays on the Greenlit Podcast Network. <laughs>